Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you're having a wonderful morning so far. Brand new month, my goodness. It feels like we're zooming through this year. I didn't even try to use the word zoom uh, purposely. Yeah, that's just a whole nother thing. Um, I do want to say before we open in prayer and get to our special guest today, the, uh, the, we've been having problems with our website. So if you've been trying to get our podcast last Thursday or Friday, I don't know when the glitches started. We attribute a lot of it to spiritual warfare um, because it just doesn't happen randomly. And so we had a guy looking at it over the weekend. He made some changes, tried to fix it. So you're going to have to go to our website or uh, look up the podcast in other ways. Um, well, hopefully it'll work today. And if you're hearing this on podcast, you're going, hey, what happened? I got it. So great. I'm, I'm glad you're listening. But um, we've been having some issues. So please pray against the spiritual uh, attacks on this ministry. Of course, uh, Facebook, we've been shadow banned. Um, they censor us in different ways on social media. We expect that because we speak the truth and we get into a lot of controversial topics. And it's dangerous, though, when you've got these entities coming against you and you really are trying to stand up for the truth and trying to uh, see things through a biblical lens and look at our world uh, and the culture from a biblical perspective. So uh, pray for us. Um, the battle continues. And let me just get to uh, our guest after we open. Father, thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for giving us purpose, and thank you for waking us up today. And I know, God, our time is short so we often ask you, Lord, to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and help us to understand the times and be more discerning. Help us to test all things and help us to uh, build our foundation of faith and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we await his return, the blessed hope of our great God and Savior. But in the meantime, Lord, there are battles to be fought. We pray in Jesus' name that you would get Christians off the bench and into the game. And really, it's not a game. We pray that they would get their armor of God on, because it is a battle, it is a war. And help us, God, to, to fight the good fight of faith without backing down. And that means standing for Christ and his truth. Give us wisdom today and one day at a time to do your will and your work in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad today to have back with us Holly Pivik, and you can get to, to her on her website, hollypivik.com. Um, it's just, she's written about so much, but she's a specialist really in the NAR. Um, we're going to talk about some false prophecies today, but a little bit of background on Holly. She's got a couple of books out, um, and also she's an evangelical researcher of cults, and uh, new religious groups such as the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation. She's got a master's from uh, Biola University in Christian apologetics. She is in Alaska, and she's the co-author of a couple books, A New Apostolic Reformation, A Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement, and God's Super Apostles, Encountering the Worldwide Prophets and Apostles Movement. And Holly Pivik, thank you so much for waking up with us today and coming back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for asking me to be back on. Yeah, well, last time we were on or together, you were um, sharing your thoughts on the pandemic, on COVID. And uh, before we get into today's topic, just uh, give us an update on your ministry, any changes, how have you stayed healthy, and, and all that good stuff. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, well, I you mentioned my new website, hollypivik.com. Uh, my, I redid my website. It used to be spiritofarror.org, and I transitioned it over just because I was losing a lot of functionality on my other side, and it just was badly in need of updating. Mm. And so, so I have this new website. That's something I've been working on, working on some new writing projects that I hope to be able to share very soon publicly. Uh, related to uh, my um, 
new apostolic reformation research mm-hmm. projects I'm working on again with my my co-author Doug Guyvet, who is a professor at Biola University Talbot School of Theology, and uh, so we continue to work together and and just um, keeping up with uh, <laughs> the interviews and opportunities like this to be with you today. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'll get jump right into it. First of all, there's uh, an article that uh, people have been sharing that I'm fortunate uh, that I don't know if they got it off my website or freedomproject.com, but it's kind of has something to do with the theme today. Um, it's called Framing Christians and Conservatives as Domestic Terrorists, and this is what they're doing uh, based on what happened at the Capitol January 6th, which um, we all uh, condemn and renounce any violence, and none of us support violence for our cause or for any cause. But, Holly, you've got—there th- were some problems leading up to that. Um, throughout the year last year, there were some false prophets. There were a lot of people. Maybe some of them were hopeful, but I believe irresponsible to declare that President uh, Trump would be reelected and serve another consecutive term as president. And so when that didn't happen, you had all these speculations and movements and controversies about, oh, something's going to happen with the courts. Oh, no, they're going to investigate the voter fraud, which there was voter fraud, but they're going to investigate that, get to the bottom of it, and it, the results will be flipped. That didn't happen. So you've got an article on your website, Sorry, Not Sorry, Why the NAR Profits Apologies for Getting Things Wrong Don't Cut It. So before we get in, and we can walk through this, and before we get into that, would you share your overall thoughts on what happened, and and I'm meaning in the church, and with so many prophecies that were wrong. Right, so a number of, as you said, a number of New Apostolic Reformation or NAR uh, prophets in the lead-up to to the recent election uh, prophesied that uh, Donald Trump would win a second uh, consecutive term in office, and um, those prophets, uh, it, many of them, uh, but Chris Bellison at Bethel Church in Redding, California, he's the prophet-in-chief that, at that church. Uh, Sean Bowles, who's uh, closely connected with Bethel Redding, uh, prophesied that, as did Jeremiah Johnson. Um, there was a really good article titled, the, uh, the Charismatic Christians Prophesying Trump's Victory and Not Backing Down, written by Julia Dean in, in Religion Unplugged, that kind of went through through all of these prophets who were prophesying that. Hmm. And um, and so, um, and, and a lot of the reason these prophets were prophesying as they were is there's something in the New Apostolic Reformation known as the Seven Mountain Mandate, and that's a revelation that has been given by prophets in this movement, and, and uh, it's a mandate they're pursuing, and the idea is that through the apostles in this movement rising to the top of these seven major societal institutions like media, government, politics, you know, these institutions, they rise to the top and then uh, they can cast out the territorial spirits, the demonic spirits that are believed to control these institutions, and they can rise to the top and, and take dominion of society and take dominion of, of the entire earth by rising to the top of these institutions. And so... So many uh, leaders in this movement saw Donald Trump as um, as someone that would um, allow them to further that seven mountain mandate agenda just because he gave them so much access uh, to the White House and everything through his his uh, pastor, Paula White, um, who is is connected to this movement and these leaders. And so um, so they were prophesying his reelection. And then um, when uh, it didn't, you know, when it didn't look like it was happening, um, they weren't backing down. And eventually, uh, some of the prophets in this movement did end up issuing apologies yes. and, and saying that they were sorry, they missed it this this time, and, and they apologized. Chris Bellatin released this apology, um, as did some others, Sean Bolts, Jeremiah Johnson, but um, the article I wrote was explaining why their apologies for getting it wrong didn't cut it, because yes. a lot of their followers were saying, you know what, it was really big of them to admit that they were wrong, um, We, you know, and that doesn't make them false prophets, that's what these prophets were maintaining, that we're still, still genuine prophets of God, just because we missed it this time, that doesn't make us 
false prophets or, or wow. anything were still genuine prophets of God. And so my article was pointing out that, no, according to Scripture, um, the test for being a prophet is that if a prophet um, predicts that something is going to happen and it doesn't take place, then, then that's how you know that this is not a genuine prophet who's been sent by God. And that's from Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, where it says, But if a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who's speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. And so um, and so, my article goes through and talks about that, uh, you know, why it, it wasn't enough that, that these guys and, and these ladies issued apologies um, that actually, uh, you know, uh, what they need to do is they need to stop claiming to be uh, prophets of God. And really, they should even uh, step down from teaching publicly because they've demonstrated that they don't have the gifting or the biblical understanding or the discernment uh, that are that's required by these roles, according to Scripture. Wow. There's so much to unpack in what you just shared, Holly. Is So it's my understanding. I'm glad you went to Deuteronomy 18. It, it, if you get one wrong, I mean, in the Old Testament, um, th- that didn't that prove that you were a false prophet if you got a prophecy incorrect? It was, it was, yes, it, it was a test to show that uh, a person, if they got one wrong, that they were not a genuine prophet of God, mm-hmm. and and even more than that, in Deuteronomy, from Deuteronomy thirteen one through five, we know that even if a prophet were to predict something and it did come to pass. That does not necessarily make them a true prophet, because if they are prophesying and telling people to go after other gods, if they're, they have false teaching accompanying their prophecies, hmm. you know, that would also show yes. them to be a false prophet. So, so it was a negative test in Deuteronomy to show if someone was not a prophet, but it wasn't a positive test just because they, they got a prophecy right. That did not mean that they were necessarily a true prophet. So one of your issues you raise in the argument is the fact that many of these, their followers, and I, I think that is an accurate term, uh, it's dangerous, uh, but many of their followers uh, accepted their apologies, uh, the prophets uh, apologized, and they still seem that they're going to follow them or they indicate they're legitimate prophets. I want to go back to something. I don't want to just skim over the seven mountain mandate. It's so important to get a perspective on this. And Holly, I would love your, your thoughts before we continue going through your article and talking about what happened. Um, the seven areas, education, religion, family, business, government, arts and entertainment, and the media. Well, let's, let's just be very clear. I have pushed for years the fact that we have lost almost every major institution in America due to our backing out of culture and the Bible clearly, Jesus clearly says, believers are to be salt and light. Salt is a preserving, flavoring influence. Uh, the, the the Corinthians, Paul writes about the uh, the flavoring of God. You know that that we when we live our lives in our culture, we leave a. I, I remember the the word aroma. They use he uses the word aroma of Christ. So we are to influence, not take over. And not, like, that's the danger of crossing that line into, okay, now we're taking dominion. We are going to tr- control. You can't force people, a godless people or a secular society, to come to God or to be saved. I'd love to hear your thoughts on ha- how we balance that perspective, Holly. Right. So, so you know, Christians would agree, as you, as you said, that that we should be salt and light in society and and but the thing that sets the uh seven mountain mandate apart is is in the dominionism of the new apostolic reformation is the idea that um that all christians must submit to present-day apostles and prophets who claim to be new critical new revelations that the church must have in order to develop these miraculous powers, even greater miraculous powers than Jesus had, and then to use these powers to cast out these territorial spirits and to set up God's kingdom on earth. 
And so, so according to this mandate, these apostles and prophets have strategies, uh, revelations that are critical that, that all Christians must receive. And it's through submission to the apostles and prophets and their leadership that the church is to take dominion. And, um, and so this is a radically different understanding than um, the idea uh, that Christians are, are to be salt and light, they're to use their influence, uh, uh, you know, in their professions, in the different sectors of society and, and where they work. So, so these are, it's just a radically different understanding. And so dominion theology and the NAR are two of the main drivers of this idea of the Seven Mountain Mandate. Is that correct? Right. So in, in the strain of Dominion theology that the NAR is, it's called Kingdom Now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, other Dominionists, um, maybe Reconstructionists, would emphasize that the way to take Dominion is through the realms of, like, education and politics, whereas in the NAR, what they really, they emphasize the supernatural, miraculous element. So the way to take Dominion is by by coming under these apostles and prophets who will help Christians develop these miraculous powers, and it's through the miraculous that wow. that uh, they will take dominion. So it's a, it's a specific strain of dominionism known as Kingdom Now okay. theology. So I want to get one point out of your article here, just so people—you yes, a great question. Do, do we know of any biblical prophets who are known to have apologized uh, for being wrong? And the answer is no, correct? <laughs> Right, right, and um, and so one thing I'll say is what what people in this movement like to say is that the the standard, the Old Testament standard for being a prophet, the test about getting it wrong once that that doesn't apply uh, to New Testament prophets. Um, but what I would say, and what many have said in response to that, is is why why do you say that? On what basis? Uh, you haven't made the case for that, and. Um, and the the thing is, like they follow Wayne Grudem, who's a respected evangelical theologian, mm-hmm. um, and and Wayne Grudem has argued that that the test for prophecy in the New Testament has has uh, changed, that uh, the Old Testament test no longer applies of getting it wrong once, and so they'll point to what Wayne Grudem has said. But the thing Wayne Grudem said was that he's not talking about people that are claiming to be like, say, in an office of prophet. Um, or or an office of apostle, and the leaders in this movement in the NER are claiming to hold a formal governing office in the church, and so really they're making illicit use of Wayne of Wayne Grudem's um, arguments when they point to him in defense of their claim that that people today what Wayne Grudem is talking about is people in the church today who may claim to have a gift of prophecy. Uh, that they use, uh, you know, just prophesying to other individuals or maybe in a local church. And and he has argued that that those people it doesn't necessarily make them a false prophet if they miss it once. But what the people in the NAR are doing is saying no, this is someone who's in a formal governing office with extraordinary authority. And so they they want it both ways. They want to kind of present themselves as Old Testament type prophets, but not be held to the same uh, level of accountability. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, there's a couple more points, actually many more points you make. We only have about a minute and a half in this segment, so I'm not going <laughs> to ask you another question and expect you to do that in 90 seconds. But the one point, the next point, your bullet point in the article, how can anyone ever trust these prophecies again? I think we pretty much clarified that since these are these men and women, maybe good intentioned, but that's not uh, that has nothing to do with being biblical when it comes to uh prophesying. Um, If they did say something that didn't pan out and was false, then I don't know. I I tend to agree with you that they should probably acknowledge so and step down. But you know, the pride of man, you know, that's probably not going to happen. So what, before we get onto the next segment, and I got some more questions for you, um, what advice would you give Christians? And there's a minute left here, if you can kind of sum it up. Um, just who are still tempted to follow these people, thinking that, well, they, they mean well, and they, they really weren't trying to do damage, but their prophecy was false. Well, sincerity is not a test. Uh, <laughs> it's Amen. not a good test, um, I would say, first of all, just whether good. they meant well or not. <laughs> um, and, and they did do big damage, and that may be something we talk about coming up. But yep. 
um, you know, their prophecies, uh, this real question of how, how their prophecies may have fueled the events that went down with the Capitol riots. And, and so, so there is real damage and, and, and just other damage uh, in people's lives from prophecies that prophets in this movement have made that people would be healed and then, and then they wouldn't die. And then those, that person's loved one died or wasn't healed. And there's real damage and people get really disillusioned with the entire Christian faith and walk away from church or walk away from their faith completely when the when these prophets give prophecies that, that don't happen. Yes, and we'll talk more about that when we come back. Plus, another article, Crisis of Faith, How Christians Can Prevent Political Passion from Turning to Unholy Fuhrer. And we've got Holly Pivik on the line, and she's uh, with hollypivik.com, new website. Check it out. We've got more coming up on this topic when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Holly Pivik is our guest today and uh, expert in the New Apostolic Reformation, NAR, and she's got a book on the topic. If you want to check out a biblical response to a worldwide movement, you can get that link at StandUpForTheTruth.com or go to Holly Pivik, P-I-V-E-C. Dot com. Okay, we'll get back to Chris Vallotton in a minute, uh, Bethel Church's prophet, or one, one of them. I want to talk about Jeremiah Johnson. On the, the First of all, on the morning after the Capitol Hill riot, um, he posted a public apology on his uh, ministry's website. He's, it said, I would like to repent for inaccurately prophesying that Donald Trump would win a second term as president of the United States. But apparently, a month before the elections last year, Johnson had a dream with three parts, apparently, according to him. Amy Coney Barrett would be confirmed to the Supreme Court. The Los Angeles Dodgers would capture the World Series. I don't know why that's even, who cares? I mean, that's, uh, but anyway. And the third one was uh, that Donald Trump would win the White House. And the first two happened. And so Johnson thought the third was certain. And Holly, I think a lot of his followers did, too, when he said, oh, yeah, Amy Comey Barrett, yeah, she got confirmed. And then the Dodgers won the World Series. But um, I want you to get your response to his three-part dream, and th- it, it really didn't give him credibility to I- make the third prophecy, but he did. Right, and, um, you know, at, so Johnson's fault—and I'll point out that Johnson, after he did— issue an apology, you know, he claims that he received all kinds of death threats and his followers were really upset with him mm. <laughs> for apologizing. And, um, and yeah, he, I don't know what to say too much other than that. He had this dream with, uh, you know, those parts and, uh, he thought the third was certain based on him, you know, thinking the first two had been fulfilled and, you know, even Sean Bowles over, so he's closely connected with Bethel Church in Reading. Um, he, in his apology, he said, well, um, you know, this has been a, I've gotten other big things right, you know, in recent times. And so I don't know what happened here. I don't know what went wrong. Hmm. But, he, but he never, he never said specifically what it is he's gotten right in recent times. And interestingly, back in February, uh, uh, Back in February 2020, he prophesied that the pandemic wasn't going to be turn out to be a big thing; that it would it would actually coronavirus coronavirus would fizzle out before it became a pandemic. And um, and then right after that is is you know when everything went bad. And so um, so you know that's uh, kind of what they they do they'll they'll that's how they justify themselves if they get a miss they'll say well i've been right in the past and so that's why they claim that 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 doesn't make them you know a false prophet um that they're still genuine prophets because they've they've gotten things right in the past and as long as they get most of their prophecies right or a majority of the prophecies right then they still think that they can claim to be genuine prophets so one more thing on Johnson. Um, yeah, you mentioned that uh, he responded saying people have threatened him and his ministry, but he makes one good point. And I'm not saying he's a prophet, but he makes a good point. He said, I truthfully never realized how absolutely triggered and ballistic thousands and thousands of saints get about Donald Trump. 
He said, it's terrifying, it's full of idolatry, and you and I would probably agree, and I can let you uh, comment on that in a minute, but it is idolatry. Um, what the left is doing is idolatry when they claim to support a party no matter what platform, abortion, homosexuality, socialism, all these other things that are unbiblical and are antichrist, uh, they still promote the party, they still support that party. That is wrong, that's idolatry. But he says plenty of Christians, actually the article about the crisis of faith says plenty of Christians voted for Trump without idolizing him, and the majority that were there did not riot. So we really want to have a healthy perspective of a balanced perspective of what happened at the Capitol. Uh, Holly Art, do you have any uh, final thoughts on uh, Jeremiah Johnson before we get back to uh, your points in the article? Well, just to, to go to your point you were just talking about, that's one thing that really concerns me is is the way that, um, so all, all of these NAR prophets prophesying, you know, Trump's uh, re-election, um, it, it, sure seemed to add fuel to what was going on at yes. the Capitol riots. And um, that's very concerning. Mm-hmm. And and furthermore, what's, what's so sad is in the aftermath of all of this, all evangelicals are being lumped together yes. uh, with, uh, with these pro- followers of the NAR prophets. And, and there's, um, and even the, there's a video on YouTube called Evangelicals Freak Out that's had, you know, I think over a million views, oh, and and they're mocking the false prophecies that the NAR prophets gave about uh, Trump's reelection. But when they do so, they're mocking all evangelicals, and that's something that really, really has me concerned. Is is the way our ability as uh, Christians, our our ability to share the gospel going forward, uh, the church's reputation, all of this has been uh, severely damaged by these NAR prophets. And, and so that, that's very sad and very dangerous. Yes, it is. And, and we have to recognize that the left never lets a good crisis go to waste. And they're using the events at the Capitol on January 6th to frame those who oppose their policies as dangerous, or th- they're using these terms, domestic terrorists. They're using these terms. So we need to be very careful because I know a lot of people, Holly, that were there at the Capitol that day, and we've interviewed a couple. Um, the, the, the violence started even before President Trump was done speaking. So that this was a lie that was promoted in the media that Trump gave the charge and then finished his speech and then everybody's you know, headed to the Capitol. That is false. It's wrong. There's uh, witnesses that have come forward and people that have, I've interviewed that were there saying, no, that didn't happen. In fact, most people were peaceful, and once the people started getting out of hand, a lot of people left. So there's some lies that we will never get clarified with the media today. Back to your article, though, and it's called Sorry, Not Sorry, Why the NAR Prophets' Apologies for Getting Things Wrong Don't Cut It. What do you mean by past hits uh, fail to vindicate them? Are you talking about social media popularity? Well, no, no, what I was talking about there is kind of what I just mentioned a bit ago is that, um, for instance, Sean Boltz and his, his apology he wrote on Facebook in the same season of such a big miss, referring to his failed prophecy about uh, Donald Trump's reelection. In the same season of such a big miss, I've had some of the most marvelous fulfillment of prophecies in my entire career. But I asked in my article, but what marvelous fulfillments was he referring to? He didn't say... You know, surely he wasn't referring to the prediction he made back okay. in February 2020 that coronavirus was coming to an end. Okay. Um, and so the point is that, that they point to past hits, uh, which they say where they got made predictions that actually happened in order to say that they're still genuine profit, even if they missed it this time. Okay, so hits as in, uh, you know, baseball. You get a hit, so you got something right, or you did something wh- that uh, actually worked. Um, <laughs> right. So... You say they'll go on prophesying, but in untestable ways. Could you explain that? Right. And so, so really, the type of prophecies that are most common, I would say, in this NAR movement is prophecies that are very vague and they're untestable because they are so vague. Okay. And so it's actually pretty rare for them, for especially a real well-known prophet like Chris Belton of Bethel Church in Reading or Sean Boltz or Jeremiah Johnson, well, maybe not Jeremiah, but the others, to give a prophetic word that is actually so specific and testable as something like Donald Trump would be reelected. 
And so what I was saying is that what will happen is these prophets will probably retreat for from a time from giving these words that are very specific and testable and just and just go to giving vague and untestable prophecies. And then really, uh, those aren't any less dangerous, um, you know, because Chris Bellison at Bethel Church in Reading, a lot of prophecies he has given are things like God has told him that God wants all churches to shift from being led by pastors to being led by apostles. He claims to have received that uh, teaching through divine revelation. Can we really test that? That's an untestable exactly. prophecy. But it's not, it's not, doesn't mean it's not dangerous uh, and destructive and harmful. And so, um, so it concerns me that what they'll do is they'll just go from giving these very testable prophecies to untestable prophecies, and, and that will make their followers less concerned. Um, and so I call them fortune cookie prophecies because <laughs> many of their prophecies are just so vague, there's no way you could ever test them. But um, even Sean Bowles has, has indicated that's exactly what he'll do. He said he plans to refrain from giving any public political words for a season while he focuses on growing in his closeness with Jesus. Mm. And so, you know, he leaves the door open for giving future uh, prophecies of a political and national nature that are specific. But for now, he it sounds like he's uh, going to refrain from that. Okay. I love fortune cookie prophecies. I like that. Um, Holly, there are some pictures in this other article. I, I don't want to confuse people, but we're going back and forth between a couple different articles here. This one's called Crisis of Faith that I don't I don't necessarily agree with, um, wow, the, the imagery here, because it's really saying all Christians are wackos. you got a guy with a holy Bible on his chest. He's got skeleton gloves on, um, and it looks like an Antifa mask and sunglasses. And then you've got another picture. Um, Jesus saves. Jesus is my Savior. Trump is my president. Trump 2020. Now, there were a lot of senior citizens, a lot of elderly people there, um, and they're just patriotic Americans wanting our country to get back to its the Constitution and to do things right and to hear the people again, a government by the people, for the people. And so they had nothing to do with all this. But yet the some of the images coming out, I would just like to get your take on this. Um, it seems like the left will use, I mean, the media will use the worst images— like for example, a guy clutching a Bible, uh, eyes closed, shouting up toward heaven, looking up to heaven with uh, image of some sort of violence in the background. This is to me that's they're not painting the whole picture. Your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, there were terrible, terrible things that that were being done there, and mm-hmm. and people really uh, misusing um, the Bible and and. Christianity and, and Christian imagery and, and, you know, in support of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I mean, it's, you know, it's true that from what I understand, there were a real, real mix of people there uh, that day. And um, sadly, again, this comes back to, <laughs> to my concerns that, um, that all evangelicals, all Christians are, are being lumped together, sadly, mm. with, those people who who were doing those terrible things and were using um, Christian Im- imagery and and while they you know in support of those things, yes, and that's where I think our discernment comes in, right? And um, we we know how the left is going to try to frame this, uh, what what happened, and they're going to try to use this. They already are. I mean, look at the razor wire and the the wall they want to build. They want to make the capital a fortress, and why? How? What? what who are they trying to uh, protect themselves against? Now, I, I don't get it. It's not like there's this army of even even if they were right wing extremists or white supremacists or whoever else radicals, um, you know, trying to storm the Capitol. Where are they? I've, I've heard of no movements. I've seen no news reports on this. But yet they're giving the impression, oh, we've got to protect ourselves from these crazy Trump supporters. So, again, let's clarify that people were I believe some were idolizing this man. And to idol, and they did the same thing with Barack Obama, by the way. Two presidents in a, in a row, the most narcissistic, arrogant presidents we've had in our history, and they idolized both of them, people on both sides. So let's just be fair and be clear that this happens. But for Christians, we've got to find that balance of being salt and light and voting biblical values 
and then surrendering the rest to God and saying, okay, Lord, it, I trust your sovereignty from this point on. Uh, would you like to share any thoughts on that, Holly? Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't okay. think I have too much to add to that. Okay. Uh, your last point in the article, uh, many of the NAR, quote, prophets seem to be more concerned about their own reputations. Now, this is understandable. Pride, it's very hard to admit that you're wrong. Christian or not, right? We're human. So if you could share uh, just some of those thoughts as you wrapped up the article. Um, I, specifically about um, my advice for for that these prophets should step down. Well, that, yes, and they are concerned about their reputations, as most Yes, yes, are, yeah. yes. So, um, so yeah, I, I watched the video. Uh, it was... I, it was a YouTube video where uh, Bill Johnson, actually, he's the chief apostle at Bethel Church in Redding, California. And I keep mm. talking about this church because Bethel Church in Redding is one of the uh, most influential NAR churches in the nation and worldwide. Mm-hmm. You know, you've talked about it on your program. Um, we've talked about it in the past, I think, through their music has just yes. uh, is being used in churches across the nation and around the world, and then, of course, uh, then people are being drawn into the church through the, the music, which is so popular. And, and so, so um, Bill Johnson was ex- expressing before, before it was shown, you know, for a fact that President Trump would not be reelected, um, he was saying that he felt like God was going to vindicate all of these prophets. And the reason he was going to uh, vindicate them was because it was it was really making um, it, people disbelieve that that these people were prophets and believing in the the idea of the prophetic as the NAR teaches it, and so and that that seemed to be his concern is that God would vindicate vindicate these prophets so that God would vindicate NAR teachings mm-hmm. about prophets and would vindicate the you know and so um, and his concern there at least as he expressed it there, seemed to actually be more concerned about the reputation of these prophets uh, than it actually seemed to be for the reputation of the church. And, um, and so, so that's really troubling to me. Um, as you know, as I, I said earlier, the, the reputation of the church was really damaged by these uh, false prophets and, uh, and non-believers, atheists, uh, skeptics, are are already using uh, these these false prophecies to mock all Christians, and it's just it just uh, makes our task as Christians sharing the gospel going forward much more difficult. Yes, but our purpose hasn't changed, our mission hasn't changed, right? So we have to do this. Um, uh, continue to expose the darkness, Holly. I, I thank you for your expertise and your research on the NAR. Man, that that book that uh, that you wrote is just it's just a thick but important volume to, for people to understand this movement. And we did that a couple podcasts ago. If you want to go back to StandUpForTheTruth.com and search our podcast, we'll put the link to our previous interview with Holly at StandUpForTheTruth.com. We've got one more minute, Holly. And just from your heart, uh, if there's any concerns you'd like to share, any thoughts or words of encouragement for our listeners to keep testing all things, but um, um, making sure we're understanding what's going on. Yeah, and um, so so what I like to do is encourage people to be good Bereans. Like in Acts 17, um, 11, we see that when the Apostle Paul went to Berea the, the, to share his message about Jesus, hmm. uh, the people there, they tested what he said by Scripture. They didn't just accept the Apostle Paul's teachings, new teachings about Jesus that he was bringing to them, but the, the Jews there at Berea... Um, tested everything he said by Scripture, and that's what we need to do today. We need to test all things by Scripture. It doesn't matter if someone is claiming to be an apostle, a prophet, any kind of Bible teacher. We need to test all their words by Scripture, because if even the Apostle Paul's words needed to be tested by Scripture, and the Bereans were commended for testing the Apostle Paul's words by Scripture— how much more do we need to, to do the same thing today of, of all people, Amen. Uh, including modern-day apostles and prophets? Amen. Holly Pivik, where can people get your book, What's the Best Way to Get a New Apostolic Reformation, a Biblical Response to a Worldwide Movement? Uh, they can buy Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you know, any of the places that, that you normally 
could buy books uh, online. Sounds good. Holly, thanks for your time. So great to connect with you again, and we'll do it again, Lord willing, uh, in the next couple months. God bless you, Holly. Okay, you too. Thanks so much, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, when we come back, we'll continue on this topic on our freedoms and what's happening in America with the government and their framing of Christians when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. All right, so we've got about uh, 10 minutes here to, to wrap this up with uh, what happened. Um, another article I came across, The Government's War on Domestic Terrorism is a Trap. So even people like Tulsi Gabbard, former congresswoman, even she is recognizing this is a problem. This is an issue that all Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians should be extremely concerned about, especially because we don't have to guess about where this goes or how this ends. Religious extremists, uh, is this, are we all, because we believe the Bible is true, are we classified as domestic terrorists now? Are we talking about all Christians, all evangelicals? Are we talking about denominations? But, friends, this is how it begins. And, again, I want to allude to, I, I, I don't remember how much I talked about this last week. Um, uh, Jan Markell shared my article over the weekend, God bless her, um, framing Christians as domestic terrorists. And this is what they're doing because they're putting up that impression at the Capitol that it needs to be protected from the wackos, evangelicals. We shared uh, Josh Hawley, which I love that man. Uh, he's a senator from Missouri. We shared his thoughts on uh, that they're using that to frame uh, just really freedom-loving Americans. He said um, they're using it to step on people's Second Amendment rights, to take away the First Amendment rights, and now we're hearing about a, a domestic war on terror. And he said, what's that going to be? Is that an excuse— for them to rifle through the emails and bank statements and personal messages of law-abiding Americans? He said this is frightening stuff. And what Pelosi and the Democrats are doing here to consolidate power, and it is frightening. I agree, it's dangerous. But here's something in this other article I did not realize. Um, where did I see this? The, the, the threats against the free speech, and they're using domestic terrorism as the new term now. Joe Biden, in his... Um, I guess in his inauguration, in part of his address, and I didn't re- I didn't watch it. I don't remember him saying that. I didn't remember articles that came out after that that he he pledged to confront and defeat quote a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, and domestic terrorism. Okay, I agree. Uh, we would almost everybody listening probably would agree political extremism is wrong, and as Christians. To idolize a Barack Obama or to idolize a Donald Trump, that is wrong. Idolatry. But white supremacy, okay, I, I know there's more accusations that there, than there are legitimate white supremacists that I'm aware of, but I know it happens. I know that it's around. But that's the third thing that Biden said he's going to confront and defeat. Domestic terrorism. What does that look like? How sh- are, should we be concerned? Are they turning over, turn, looking under rocks? Are they going through um, our social media pages? What are they doing? Our accounts? So free speech, the right to protest, the right to challenge government wrongdoing, to petition the government, right? Due process, a presumption of innocence, the right to self-defense, accountability and transparency in government, privacy, Uh, The press, sovereignty, assembly, bodily integrity, representative government, all of these and more have become casualties in the government's new war on the American people. Uh, Cue the emergency state, right? This version of a a crisis management that they're in, they they seem to to be projecting this, that justifies all manner of government tyranny, in the so-called name of national security. So they're doing two things, friends. They're using the coronavirus, the Rona. Uh Uh-oh, fear the Rona. They're using the Rona 
to say, all right, we've got to take these extreme measures of lockdowns and shutdowns and social distancing and mask mandates and everything else for peace and safety, right? Safety, safety, right? Uh, health. They're using the Rona. But now our concern is twofold that they are using the violence that took place at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. to their, their, their new ways of taking power, control, new legislation. They, they need to be protected from those of us, the, the wacko evangelicals or whatever. And again, a lot of it comes back to the imagery that the left used of those who were really they were wrong. People who were at the Capitol wanting to, you know, uh, it, whether it's profanity or waving a Trump flag and saying we're going to storm the Capitol. That was wrong. But again, um, forgive me for being redundant. There was such a minority of good, sincere American citizens that were just there to, to just raise awareness. We are the people, and this is our house, and we have freedoms, and we have a constitution to uphold. They had no intentions, most of them, um, Scott Lively and others who were there. Who was I talking to last week? I forget now. Um, one of our guests last week was at the Capitol, and so many others— he said, no, that wasn't our intention at all. Um, Curtis Bowers was there and so many. Um, so the left is going to use this. They cannot justify a military-style barrier around the U.S. Capitol. Isn't that a bit much, even for um, Pelosi standards? Isn't that a bit much? But be careful now. They've already used the Rona to find out how far they can push their power grabs and how much of our freedoms we were willing to give up because of the threat of a virus, right? They know that. You know, that, you know that's on us. <laughs> we let them p- push that pretty far without the science. Let's get behind the science, right? Um, so the National Guard's at the Capitol. And again, a point I made not only in the article, but last week on the radio, I don't remember what podcast. But with all that happened, the National Guard's here, at the state capitol. I don't know who they're protecting against, but maybe there's some inside information that we don't have. Let's give them the benefit of the of the doubt. So maybe there is some threat out there. I don't know. But think about the hundreds of thousands of people that showed up at Trump MAGA rallies last year through, let's just say, I don't know, um, July through October. I mean, there was one I remember clearly in Pennsylvania, 57,000 people. For Trump, there's not one violent people, not one violent act, not one arrest. So look at, and let's just reason together here. Through all these rallies, all these Trump rallies, people were there. They loved the song that opened up the, the, uh, the rally, um, God Bless the USA. It, it was a very patriotic thing. These people are really just wanting to get behind the, the policies, not necessarily the man, but his policies. He did so many good things for this country and the left is trying to get us to conveniently forget anything good that Donald Trump ever did. So now let's go back, compare that, some of these rallies, the patriotic Trump rallies, to dozens of people killed, communities being burned, businesses being shut down. They're having to put board up their windows and doors with plywood, and they're being vandalized. A lot of businesses being looted. Two billion dollars of property damage due to Antifa and Black Lives Matter and other radicals on the left. I call them Biden Harris voters. Um, this happened all summer. Where was the left about that? Wasn't that some form of domestic terrorism? The left was silent on that. The media called them mostly peaceful protests. Portland alone, it cost them two point three million dollars for the leftist attacks on federal buildings. So now the Democrat media and Pelosi and her minions, they're framing us because there were some Christians and some, the obviously, symbols. There were crosses, people carrying Bibles. Jesus is my, pres- or Jesus is my Savior. Trump is my president. There were the Trump mega flags they were flying at the Capitol because some of them were there, a lot of patriotic Americans and Trump supporters, because of the violence that happened that one day. They're ignoring Everything that happened last year throughout the summer and into the fall of the intimidation and the violence of the left. And they're framing us, you and me, if you're a conservative, Christian, independent, uh, Republican, evangelical. Um, yeah, this is dangerous, friends. 
So we've got to be aware of this word, war, war of words. Uh, they're redefining the truth. They're redefining Christianity. Um, they're making it look like we want to take control, right, and take over. No, we don't. We just want to, We just want fair elections. We want an unbiased media. We want our governing authorities to uphold the Constitution. We're not asking for much. But what we are demanding is reasonable. Um, so it's not a sin to be proud of your country. It's not a sin to be saying, hey, America was exceptional, and, and God willing, we'll get this, this, this ship straightened out and righted. I don't think so. I think we've got two parties fighting over um, a ship that's heading for an iceberg, and um, our freedoms are at stake, friends. They're slipping away. I know you know that. Darkness, forces of darkness are advancing. That's easy to see by looking at our culture and all the institutions and our government. But what they're doing is dangerous and wrong, and be careful because the media will not report on it. You will not get a fair shake. If you oppose the, the policies of the left, you will not get a fair shake. So we must stay engaged. You must have the armor of God on. We must stay prayerful and maintain that eternal perspective we have a hope that this world cannot understand, and that's in Jesus Christ. So let's keep raising awareness, stop the redefinition of words and the deconstruction of our history and the lies being promoted as truth, evil being called good. It will continue. We have a choice on how to react and respond and how are we going to engage. Salt and light. Thank you guys uh, for uh, listening. Uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll be back with our guests for the rest of this week when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it here. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, tomorrow, Pastor Carl Gallops has a brand new book out called The Summoning, preparing for the coming days of Noah so we'll be talking to him tomorrow, and on Wednesday you will hear a rebroadcast from Gary Kaw on the globalist threat that's advancing. Also Thursday, I can't wait to get to Pastor Steve Smotherman from Legacy Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, get an update on his Rona battle with the governor there and uh, his church taking a stand. God bless him. And Pastor Eric Jackson, a young pastor from uh, Wisconsin. He's going to be back with us. Actually, is it Northern Michigan or Wisconsin? I think it's in Wisconsin. And uh, next Monday, i got to tease Dr. Erwin Lutzer. He's got a book out. Oh, man, I, I, on the silence of they're silencing us as believers. So can't wait to get to Dr. Erwin Lutzer as well. So a lot more uh, coming up later in the month. I don't want to tease yet, but um, some great guests. I thank you for your suggestions, and I thank you for your prayers. And we've been under a lot of intense warfare here at this ministry, and I really covet your prayers. And we appreciate your financial support as well. Uh, we really need to uh, kind of revamp our website because it took some hits over the weekend. We lost some uh, structure, some information, some background, some themes were um, causing problems. So anyway, uh, man, so much going on. But thanks for listening. Carl Gallup's tomorrow. God bless you. Keep the faith. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>